All right, so coming in on the top today on the show, we have Kenny Dubman. You might know him from his work with Prophet. He's a singer-songwriter guitarist, um, and he's got his first solo record coming out full band style. The record's called Conflicted. Um, it's got some pretty sweet features, one of which being Zach Wilde on guitar. Also, Blackberry Smoke. Um, we're going to listen to a tune. This is a tune, Old Dog. Keep it to you Slapped in the face Kicked to the ground 
The album's Conflicted, Kenny Dubman. Um, that was a song featuring uh, Charlie Starr from um, Black Cherry Smoke. And uh, it rips, right? There's some real deal guitar stuff in there. Kenny's had a few albums out, but this is the first one with a full band since Profit. It's really cool because diving into his work, hearing his songwriting with the acoustic albums and hearing how like the band fully like emphasizes the emotional intent that he's trying to convey. It's really, it's a really cool project. I highly recommend you guys check out the album. Um, like I said, out now on all streaming platforms and Kenny was a super cool dude. I talked with him as he walked around the park and not often do you get to talk to someone who's um, homies with Zach Wild. And it's just like, yeah, you know, Texan Zach Wild. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, anywho, if you're new to the podcast, I play in a band called Sea Level, letter C dash. Um, we got some cool stuff coming up. Before uh, before that, at this point, I opened up for John Doe, and I'm thinking anyone who came out and anyone who listened to the John Doe episode, um, thank you for coming out to the Music Box and checking out that episode with John Doe of X. If not, I recommend checking out the episode. John Doe is a hero, and it was an honor to talk with him, and an absurdly amazing honor to open for him. Now, this is being said before the show. Stuff may have gone awry and gone horrible, but I highly doubt it. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing night, greatly in part of you guys for showing up and supporting. Upcoming, Sea Level is opening up for King Yellow Man at the Grog Shop July 10th. Sunday, July 10th, we were going to open up for the legendary Yellow Man at the Grog Shop. That being said, you can get tickets at the Grog Shop or if you go to c-level44.com or any of the C-Level medias, we have ticket links for Yellow Man. Last thing on, on my stuff, if you dig guitar work, clearly you do because you're here to listen to Kenny talk, you might dig some of the stuff we do. Um, we do a lot of acoustic guitars, ran through Marshall Amps, and open tunings. We have the song Stomp, which is very guitar-heavy, and the song Clean His Hands, which is a lap steel. Um, so if you dig blues, you might dig that. Also, on the note of blues, last week, um, last two weeks ago, we had uh, Robin Ford on. So if you dig blues guitar, we go deep with Robin. And if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. And here we go. This is my conversation with Kenny. I wanted to know what the similarities are between um, songwriting and deep sea fishing. <laughs> Probably none, other none? than that I, re- that I really love both of them. Um, but. <laughs> They're completely separate entities, and and they scratch uh, uh, totally separate itches. Uh, songwriting is just like deeply gratifying from a creative standpoint, and being on the ocean uh, is like meditation for me. It's the most zen place on the planet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is it? So like- yeah. So fishing, uh, being on the ocean and on a boat, and and fishing is just my ultimate relaxation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> songwriting is definitely i mean it, it, it's highly stimulating as far as the, the brain and scratching that creative itch so uh they're they're pretty polar opposite in my in my psyche 
Got it. But you know, I mean, you kind of need both to get through. So <laughs> I do need, I do need both. Absolutely. Um, that's super interesting. Cause like, uh, I'm, I'm not much of a fisher, but I, I spent a lot of time trying to write songs and, uh, I, I can relate to, to the, the chaoticness, the kind of overstimulation of that. Like you kind uh -huh. of, uh, you get like a bite of a, uh, like a song seed, so to say, like a, right. a lyric or something. And then you're just constantly obsessing over it and every like facet of it becomes so manic. What you know, here's the funny, here's the funny thing. Like I stopped obsessing. Like if I get a good idea and I'm really digging, I'm working on it, working on it, and it's really not going anywhere. I'll just let it be. <laughs> and then when when the time strikes, like it'll just pop into my head. Like another oh another part for this song. Let me go back to it. So yeah, I mean, in, in early on, I was uh, like a little bit obsessive about getting something finished, but not anymore. Mm. Like. So uh, I guess that is that's the kind of the calmness from the from the sea playing into it. <laughs> it could be, or maybe just maybe I just got to the point in my life where I just try not to sweat anything anymore. That makes I, sense. I think that's yeah. I think that's more, the longer you live, the the more you come to realize that uh, you know just no, nothing really is worth sweating. So just don't sweat it. Right. Right. Well, they, I guess that's the the kind of Zen mindset to get into the to just get in get everything out. Like especially musically, because when it's time to when it's your turn to take the lead, right? You only have that many bars. If you if you choke for a couple of seconds, you're already wasting that many bars to say what you need to say. Um, that, that, that's absolutely true. Now let's kind of like what what got you into music? What got the guitar into your hands? Uh. Also, something very specific. Uh, I grew up in a, in a, my mom's a, a rock and roller and still is. And when I was a kid, like her music of choice was like late 60s rock slash acid rock. So it was the Hendrix and the Santana that I heard playing in my house that like triggered that. The sound of electric guitar just really like struck me to the core. And uh, it, it was just, I, I, whenever I'd hear it, I would just go like, go nuts internally and i just knew that i i really wanted to be able to to do that for myself and that's what started me wanting to play guitar nice that's so sick that your mom was in the hendrix and santana that's yes, rad. she still is <laughs> that's badass um, that cool? that's super cool it's interesting like the just the music you hear growing up around you kind of forms you or forms what you kind of like later on you know it, it completely does like my dad was super into blues music, so blues guitar was always in my brain, and Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and cats like that really stuck out to me. Um, so, but it's from hearing it and wanting to make it is two different things, and the ability too. Um, was there like, did your mom play? Did did anyone in your in your family play music that got a guitar into your hands? Uh, no, that was that was me asking to to lessons and there was a long period of not not really um not really getting it where i i almost quit it was about three years and you know i was taking lessons from like old school jazz cats you know that yeah you know, italian dudes that did weddings in the city and you know there was no rock in their sphere whatsoever mm. so they were teaching me the right way with you know theory and reading and everything but it wasn't scratching the itch that that i needed scratched and it wasn't really until um i figured out how to play rock lead guitar on my own that it really caught fire for me 
did a so did that um did those like initial like kind of like here's how you move your fingers from the jazz cats pan out like did that unveil like the the tools needed to find out how these no question links? because I, no? because i had you know i had knowledge of of the fretboard mm. and you know what it felt like but as far as you know, the, the, the rock thing was a whole different thing because it was bending strings. It was like these, uh, you know, these pentatonic, I call them boxes, these little positions on the guitar right. that I, I figured out 100% by ear, 100%. And that was, uh, and the trigger for that was uh, the first Kiss Alive album in 1975. Yeah, nice. Yep. Yeah, because, yeah that one I guess you can follow, right? Because <laughs> Ace Frehley's leads were so brilliant, yet they, were, they weren't fast. Like he was, he was playing, Ace was playing all the Jimmy Page licks, but he was playing them slow enough for a kid to to get his head around, you know, you figure out where to put your fingers and where to bend. And then you start to see that all these little spots on the neck are just simply, you know, repeated patterns. And, uh, it was, yeah, my, but that, that album was unquestionably 100% the key that unlocked it for me. That's amazing. Was that like to to take it like and, and it's interesting with like jazz dudes they like they don't they, they don't bend they like do they slide into it there's that kind of like grace with to like in jazz like and I don't I don't know if that's from like kind of a lot of like the phrasing coming from horn players or instruments that aren't guitar you know uh, it could very well be and you know j- jazz is all about soloing over very quick changes and and it's you're you're lightning fast soloing but your every every bar could be a different chord so the amount of knowledge that has to go into that to be able to actually improvise and know what chords coming in and and just be able to play like a four you know like a four beat lick over one chord then go solo over a completely different chord is mind-numbing to me <laughs> and it's it's not something i really ever wanted to do nor do i want to do it now but i'm i'm blown away by the the uh the brain power that that takes because it's unbelievable you know rock guitar players you know we're basically essentially soloing in just one key and it's all you know either major or minor pentatonic so it's it becomes like rote memorization and you're just playing by feel but if you're soloing over a bunch of jazz changes you know where the chord changes every, every single bar that's utter insanity <laughs> right it it's, really is it is no because I've, I've sat in with a couple jazz groups and like um tried to figure it out because I, I came from like a blues background and like a uh, rock background. So for me, like, I was like, how do you make that pentatonic mindset that you just described work on these you quick for, changes? You have to forget it completely. You have to just <laughs> yeah. throw out the window <laughs> yes. because it really does. It does not apply in the least to, to jazz soloing. Yeah. It's it's strictly chord arpeggio chord arpeggio knowledge. Right. Right. And like and then hyperimposing whenever there is like uh like a, a space that would be kind of like a like a, a couple bars of one chord. It's like guys are like are hyperimposing other chords. Like Coltrane is kind of a great example. There's like a lot of blues based stuff, but when you analyze what he's doing, he's like playing like two five ones over a four and you're like, What the fuck? Yeah, it, it, it exactly and it's you know it's it's so beyond my realm and like i i can appreciate it but like i said i, I have no desire at all to do it <laughs> was it uh, like i was hanging with a, a buddy of mine real great jazz cat and i was playing bass in his uh combo to like to watch him you know i'm like how's he right. how's he do this 
and like it, it was like a cover band, right? So we would play all sorts of bars, and we'd go from jazz, bar, like a jazz club, to the next night we're playing in a bar where we gotta do rock music, and watching him like try to figure out rock phrasing and like it was funny because he was like he had trouble letting go in that way so there's like yeah <laughs> there, there there's not too many guys that can that can cross over you know right. back and forth <laughs> without without bringing the the other attendancy from one to the other you know yeah exactly uh both 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 are, are are very specialized and there there's some cats that can there's guys out there that you know that are good fusion players that can bring one into the other and that's that's insane yeah do you who do you are you in the fusion do you who do you dive into uh not really i'm i'm yeah. really not um I mean, guys I've listened to you know when I was younger would be like uh Demiola or um um John McLaughlin. Cats like that. Uh, Hol- Alan Holdsworth was one of my favorite guitar players, and that guy was just like on another planet. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Was it um, one thing? Oh, I wanted to ask you, um, oh, who's the cat from a uh, Journey? Um, Neil Sean. Yes. Did he like? Are you into him? He probably not. Probably my biggest influence stylistically. Yeah? Okay. Yep. What? So kind of like, I, I diving into it. I kind of heard bits of him and like. How did from taking these Ace Freely like pentatonic like magic bits? How did he inform your playing after? Well, Ace Freely got me set up with, and Ace Freely taught me that most rock guitar players are playing in the same patterns. They're just you know they're just doing different things within those patterns. So once I had the patterns, then I could hear other people. I knew what they were doing and where they were doing it, but then you just, you just absorb their style of doing it. Mm. So Neil Sean was always to me, which just one of the most ferocious, just absolutely savage rock guitar players yet. So melodic and fluid at the same time that he just blew my mind. I spent a lot of time when I was a kid listening to, um, the first three journey albums before Steve Perry joined the band. Yeah. Which are just, Basically, you know, the songs are loosely structured and then they just go on insanely long jams. They were, they were a jam band back then. Yeah. (laughs) That's the journey of it. No, that's, so it's interesting. Like it's interesting taking these kind of building blocks of music and like, it's especially with guitar because it is so kind of feel based and like, and even like hanging with the jazz cats on my end, like seeing like their, even though they're they're structured mindset structured and like playing over these strange changes there's still more of this pattern based thing than when they hang out with the sax players or the key guys or like or the horn players that are real good at reading music you know what i mean like there's a certain undeniable feel approach to guitar and um i think a lot of it is that seeing those patterns and like okay how do they do that and that's amazing that like it's just I, I, like I try to analyze where I got my blocks from and my like understanding from and like it doesn't it's all from bits from all over the place. But to be able to hone it right to that kiss record, I think is really cool and really special for like um, understanding where you're where you're going. Um, so to take hey, it Dave, from, just real quick, if, if, if I lose you, okay. my phone's on 10 percent right now. Okay. Um, if, if, if we blank out, I'll just call you back as soon as I get to a charger. All right. Sounds good. All um, right. where are you, are you, uh, are you traveling at the moment or are you, in- uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a car at a park waiting for my daughter to finish up a run right now. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. 
Easter run, very nice. Track? Yeah. Uh, no, she's, she's very athletic, though. She just wanted to go for a run today. So I was like, oh. I'll, I'll walk and you run and um, just meet me back at the car. Very cool. Yeah, she's a good kid. That's awesome. Um, so the kind of like when, I guess, when did those like skills from like these lessons working with these guys that were playing weddings? Because prof- uh, uh, you guys dove into a, um, a cover band circuit at first, yes? Well, Profit was a cover band before we did originals. So we, we started as a cover band around 1980, and uh, we ended up putting a first record out in 1984. So those that block of years prior to the first album, we were we were playing the New Jersey bar circuit five nights a week as a cover band, doing um, you know progressive rock on one side and then hard rock on the other. We we'd mix it up, and I think that's what people dug about coming to see us. So okay, so you you can like get these two different angles as opposed to just like here's the top 40 and like musically that's it has to be more satisfying because you're learning like these like i don't know like prog tunes with all these changes you're learning all this musical like approach so it's not just dull like here's a roadhouse blues again (laughs) like yeah band nights yeah so when i when i first joined profit I was just a straight up, you know, rock and roll, hard rock guitar guy. And they, I, they had me diving right in learning uh, um, Kansas and Yes tunes. And it, it was so far over my head that, I mean, the amount of work that it took to, to, to start learning all those lines, it was right. just insane. But you know what? I did it. I applied myself and I got there. And, it, you know, doing that drastically improved my ear outside of rock pentatonic guitar. Right. And like, what were some of the things that stick out like from those initial lessons? Were you hearing those time changes, those modal approaches? No, no. I, no? you know, I really can't say that I took, I, I you know, those lessons developed my ear mm. and, you know, I let me hear chord arpeggios. Right. Okay. So I kind of knew what to look for, but I, I'm not going to tell you that I dragged a whole lot out of the, those first few years. Because it was really like most of my knowledge and skill came from, you know, figuring out stuff on my own by ear. Luckily, I have a very good ear to pick stuff out. Got it. Well, fine-tuning it like that and being able to be like, oh, he's, you know, he's doing a minor arpeggio compared to a dominant or whatever. That's that's a huge skill set. You know what I mean? That's a- Yeah, so so I guess you can say I did I did take that. It, it, it trained my ear, you know, to, to, to hear certain things. But, yeah, I mean, most of it, most of it, most of the skill set on my instrument came from learning very difficult progressive rock cover stuff. Badass. Very cool. And like, did that like aid in writing for profit? Uh, I'm not, I'd say probably no. Okay. Like my writing in profit, I was, I was a secondary writer in that band. Uh, the, the primary writer was our bass player, Scott Metaxas. Who could? Who was way advanced of me at the time? Um, so he he could come in with a whole song beginning to end, you know. And I would I would bring him ideas. I might have a chorus, or I might have a, like a riff with a verse or, or something. But it was my songwriting really didn't flourish into what it is now until probably you know the songs that I that came together for Reckless Abandon, my first solo record in, in 2016. So. The songwriting for me is a whole different thing now than it was back then. Back then it was like, it was guitar riff based. Right. But now it's, it's really, it's much more 
elemental building block based in that I'll come up with like a, you know, a couple of chord changes and a, and a vocal melody or, or a chorus idea, a lyric idea, which is really like, you know, building a song from the most important parts first right. instead of a, as guitar players, you know, a lot of us tend to like write a riff and say, wow, it's a cool riff. This is going to be a song. And you back into the song with a guitar riff. Which for me is is like a is like a secondary or tertiary way to come up with a song, you know, because the most important part of the song is the vocal melody and the lyrics. Right. Well, the narrative and, of and, it, yeah, the song. Yeah, so. and that because that's what people are really keying in on first. So that's you know, for whatever reason, I was just able to evolve into that type of songwriter. Now, like more of more of a singer songwriter mindset than a guitar player mindset. Well, it's a, that's a definitely an interesting like kind of crossover, and like it's also interesting because it it kind of seems like that with the idea of these building blocks up, just like how you approached guitar in a way, like it's almost kind of going back to those kind of like like pure expression steps. Um, but like it makes sense because like with like with profit being like as proggy and like technical as it is and if you're sitting there and your your role is the guitar player you know that makes sense that those are the roles you're going to come up with um like and just even music wise like this new record you're putting out is fantastic like i've listened to the the advance like quite a few times and like these are well-written songs and like and it's just fucking rocking shit man like <laughs> well thank thank you so much man i really appreciate that um and like the kind of dive into like I guess like a, a example of like maybe like the like old dog right like that that tune hits so hard and is so well written and like so I mean just to go from guitar to writing and then writing and singing there's like six steps there that are really really difficult steps to like one come to terms with because everyone has their own voice musically mm-hmm. and like a as far as like songwriting wise and like just vocally. So like were like these like kind of days when you're doing covers, were you singing in any of this? Were you working on those vocal chops? That's that's a very interesting point because yeah, uh, like my vocal chops did not happen overnight, trust me. It took a lot that's a lot of years of singing cover stuff to to really get to that point. Um after Profit, uh, we had a hard rock cover band called the Edgar Casey Band, where uh, the the two singers for years were just myself and the bass player. We we mm-hmm. you know trade off on lead vocals, and you know I cut my teeth doing like Van Halen and ZZ Top and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually, I started doing acoustic duo stuff um, with a, a girl, a female partner. We'd both you know play acoustic guitar and sing, and that took it even further because you're, the spotlight is much greater on your vocal performance when you're sitting on a stool with an acoustic guitar because there's nothing right. to cover. So yeah, it was it was a, it was going from one thing to the next thing, singing a lot. I mean, a lot. Yeah. And I'm still not anywhere near where I'd like to be, but I'm I'm holding my own, I guess, now at this point. It's rocking, man. Like I, <laughs> like. The two cover and Van Halen vocally is so high in that register, especially if you're doing like a full band, like a, like we're all playing in the open, like so we can get those runs Eddie Van Halen's doing. So we're in the original tuning or um, key of the song, 
And yeah. like even ZZ Top, man, like they're up there too. And if the cover band gig, you're doing that multiple nights a week. <laughs> so shit, to like be able to make it work and not lose your voice is super impressive. Um, I found for myself, I had to record myself a million times over and like run the tune. And like I literally had to play the melody on the guitar, match my voice to that pitch. So I know, okay, I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, hey, man, whatever process works for you. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> um, it's just, it's amazing to come from like, like on this record, like you're, I, I, you're hitting these high, like everything's so well done and like you're hitting these high notes, man. And it's, it's rocking. Cause I listened to a American songbook or songbook, the, the live acoustic one you did. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even there, like, which is a live cut, like, like shit, man, you're right up there too. Like finding your range. Did it, do you think like, um, from learning these covers, that's how you develop that range or was it, was singing like up there high like that, like comfortable for you? Uh, no, as, as you, as you you sing cover tunes, I mean, you, sometimes you bite off more than you can chew and you're like, that's too high for me. But I definitely think that the more you sing and the more you, it's a muscle you built, you know, your vocal cords are muscles. And the more you, you build them up and strengthen them, there's more, the more you can do with them. It's like being an athlete. Right. For example, I did a gig last night. I did an acoustic gig and it was my first gig in a month which is a long time for me not to play and sing. And man, I felt it. Like I was like, holy shit. I warmed up on the way there vocally, but you know, when, when I'm not singing a few nights a week, the shit starts to slip. Yeah. <laughs> I totally relate to it that. Do, it does. Yeah. What do you do for warmups? What's your, what's your, uh, just, uh, just these, the, like these scale patterns, you yeah. know, like, different vowels okay you know i took, I took a little vocal lessons for a little bit when i was a little kid so uh you know that that was those warm-up exercises definitely uh you know i i carry them forward with me do you do the lip rolls no i don't okay. even know what that is. the that shit I, i've heard people do that but i don't that's not what i do was well, it a because I, I i got the same like type <laughs> type of t- um process warming up and uh, these lip roll things, man, they'll save your life if you lose your voice. Um, wow. Yeah, it's weird. It makes no sense. I have a buddy who, um, his name's George Hartwig, and uh, he played in this Metallica tribute band called Battery. Um, and, like, he would be het feeling every night. You know, he's like, man, the lip rolls were savior. Get me through every gig. He's like, I'm like, oh, shit. But, wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So, <laughs> if they when in doubt give it a try yeah um, i'll look into that because like i've noticed that too i've like with with COVID, you know like all the bar gig circuits have like changed you know and like there's been t- way too much time off like yes right. yesterday i had i had two two gigs it was like five basically five hours of, <laughs> of acoustic playing you know and like so i'm super shot today i mean it was losing my mind like trying to get just to get through it, you know, because that's a long time, especially. And then I listened to listening to your record traveling between each spot. And I'm like, how would you, man, when you do, <laughs> when you lose your voice, man, it's got to be harsh. But, um, yeah, well, it hasn't happened yet. So knock on wood. Knock on wood. Um, <laughs> so the dive into this new record. Now, was there, was there a choice from the last two, or at least, or at least the last one being a live acoustic? Was there, did you want to do a full band this time specifically 
because of that, or was this live acoustic kind of like warming up these songs for this new record? No, the the live acoustic was done because I did I didn't have the money or the time really to to go in and do a full blown um, studio record. I would have loved to have done American Songbook as a full electric record, gotcha. but I, I I just couldn't, and I figured that the songs would carry that record not realizing that unless you're already highly successful, um, people don't really give a shit about hearing an acoustic record. They want it. They, for, at least for me, they expect a rock record. And a lot of people got a hold of that. And they were like, what the, f- what am I going to do with this? So that was a lesson learned at, at some point. I would love to redo that whole album as an electric yeah. album. That's what those songs are. Electric rock songs. That's what they were meant to be. Right. Yeah, they're, they're well. Even the acoustic solos in that are shredding, man. So like, Thanks. definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really happy. I I like that record a lot. Um, but it just it like I said, you know, I wasn't some you know I'm not Pearl Jam. So if there, people aren't like buying whatever I put out there. Was it? Yeah, that I I don't know, man. Like even as a fan, like when you find someone who's got the rock album. I personally, maybe it's the musician in me that wants to go to the acoustic thing and be like, how much of this is really here? You know, like, how many of these is just one take? You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe that's kind of like the, uh, the kind of like subsect of like what, where acoustic records like really appeal is to people trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, I uh, think it's just like if you, if you have a huge enough fan base, you yeah. can get away because people just want anything that you produce. Whereas if you're in a position like me where you're still scratching and clawing to get, you know, some attention, you, you really got to be putting what you are out there all the time right. until until it catches fire. And what I am really is the new record and my first album, uh, Reckless Abandon. Well, that's like interesting, like a kind of a like Stumpy uh, coming from let me I can talk today coming from um coming from profit and then going back to like a doing like uh, these like cover gigs or is there a skill is a crossover of like that has panned out from these cover gigs into approaching your uh solo career like in i guess i mean like like as far as like self-promotion and like having the rephrase how you put yourself out there in a way I, like I'm, i kind of from the ground up from like the cover gig world like in the bar gig world like I feel like you have to do that way more like than maybe in a band that has like um, a distributor and a, and a promotion team. Yeah. Well, the cover band thing was just, I never really like a lot of the cover stuff I did just happened to click and catch fire locally, you know, just from the material that we were doing, Mm. you know? So I was never like, I never made like a, like a, I never put a huge effort into, into promoting any cover thing I ever did. But with the original thing, it's like everything has to be promoted because there's, there's a gazillion bands out there and everyone's striving for attention. So, so in a nutshell, my answer to that is that covers, cover bands were just, you know, they were just kind of, uh, we just did it. And if, and the fact that we were, you know, pretty good at what we were doing, made them, you know, catch fire and get a following. But like th- this whole thing, doing original music is like, man, it's, it's doggy dog. Cause there's just, there's too many, there's too many artists out there right now. 
You know, and every, yeah. every medium, every medium is absolutely saturated with videos and songs and ads, and it's like holy shit. <laughs> it's a completely different, like, or overwhelming, like, landscape. And like, I don't know, I don't, I don't. It sounds like, like, back then that that's what the promo people would be doing, you know, or like if there was a company that handles it, that's what they're doing. But even like, even still, I don't think that's the case. It's just, I was just one. it's interesting because, like, there's this kind of, like, um, zen approach to the cover gig. So it's like, yeah, we're going to do it, and people show up. Um, and, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, with original stuff, I totally agree with what you're saying. You can't you can't really do it like that because if you just do the gig, no one's going to show. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you, don't, if you don't push it in a certain way. Exactly. A cover band thing grows from this local thing where, you know, you put a band together, your friends start coming out and just word spreads and you're playing the same area all the time. Right. And it's a whole different vibe. People just going out to have a good time and drink and, you know, hear songs they know. So it's com- it's coming from a whole different place. But like, you know, if you're an original music act trying to get somewhere these days, it's a science on, you know, on how that's done. So uh, that that being the case, I'm not, I'm actually speaking to a management company now. We're talking again Monday. Yeah, and uh, I'm thinking about getting on board with them because they're they're two industry pros. They've been at it a long time. They know how to they know how to promote in today's uh, musicscape. So I think I'm going to do it. It's time. Great man, that's awesome. I really hope that pans out. Because like... yeah, me too. It's it's the next step up, and I, I need it because they have the knowledge that I don't have. Right. So. So far, so good. You know, we had a couple of really good conversations. Well, here's uh, one question I wanted to go with uh, based on what we were just talking about. Um, so Kiss Alive kind of opened up these, like, building blocks for, like, guitar playing. Were there any records that opened up building blocks for songwriting? Matter of fact, there is one in particular. Yeah? Um, yeah, when I got back, I, I took a long, long hiatus away from the creative side of music for probably over 20 years that that I didn't write a song or care to write a song or record or any of that kind of stuff. So, um, in 2013, I find my, I found myself climbing out of a, a pretty dark hole in my personal life and I was getting through it and just, you know, applying myself to my day job and just listening to a lot of music. And I discovered one day on YouTube, uh, an album by Blackberry Smoke called The Whippoorwill. Mm. So I clicked on it and I listened to it. I was like, wow, this band's pretty good, you know, kind of southerny, you know, real honest songwriting, um, great lyrics. So the next day uh, I went back and I, I listened to the whole thing again. And then I did it again and again. And I just, I, I got so drawn into this album that I ended up listening to it like every day. I became obsessed with it. It was so good. And at some point, I was like, you know, if these guys are out here making music like this, it's this good organic rock and roll that I really love, maybe I should be doing it too. Mm. And I didn't conscientiously set about to start writing songs again. It just happened naturally. Like I started getting ideas that I thought were cool enough to to, to think about capturing. And I started doing that. And once I got up to about half a dozen t- tunes, I was like, you know something, man? I think I'm going to, you know, when I get enough songs, I'm going to go do a record. So that Blackberry Smoke album, um, 
was absolutely the trigger that got me, it got my head into the right mindset to want to start being creative again. That's awesome. It's, it's crazy how a, a piece of art or a record or a film or whatever it is kind of unlocks that like thing in your brain that you want to like emulate in a way, or you want to be just as creative. That's so it, it cool. All, it, it all happened. Like it was, it was kind of like a, a, a rebirth for me because I, I went, I shed a lot of baggage, mm-hmm. you know, and I was, I was, I, I, I kind of like, I was coming at life from a whole different place at that point, um, a much healthier place mentally. Yeah. Um, so the songwriting just rushed in as like a, a healthy um, occupier for my mm. brain and my psyche. So, I mean, ever since then, it's become really the, the focal point of my life. So it, it, the whole event was, was absolutely life-changing. That's, that's amazing. And was it, is yeah. it kind of well, like the, uh, the, uh, one thing I've noticed with like songwriting, there's this vague kind of approach to it. Everyone has their own way. Right. But like one thing, one outlier or one common thread, I want to say that most songwriters have is this kind of like openness to the beauty of the mundane, right? Like to be able to see a guy sitting at a bench and see a narrative and a song and a story to where someone's just walking by, you know, or to see a dog, an old dog, and to see a, a narrative and a meeting within that. And it's like this kind of like beautiful little bu- bubble of like mental positive like outlook that people like songwriters and writers and filmmakers and fill in the blanks have that maybe someone would overlook. Is that kind of yeah. the posi uh, mental like approach that? that's the that's where all that energy was going or it came to yeah i don't i don't, I don't know i don't know where the, the songwriting spark comes from uh i can tell you you can't force it i, I i'm not like a, i mean guys in nashville like sit around rooms for eight hours a day writing songs writing hits for other people i don't know how they do it because for me there has to be some little trigger right and i really i really have to be in the mood to do it yeah. you know what i mean um uh, when the ideas start to flow, it's almost like a, I don't know if it's, if you'd call it right brain or left brain, but it feels like, um, the ideas are being channeled through me rather than I'm the one that's coming up with them. Uh, all the best ideas feel like that. Like, you know, a bunch of stuff will come together and I'm just like, wow, that didn't even, I wasn't conscientiously thinking to come up with that. It just flowed through me. Like I was a conduit. So I don't I don't know where it comes from, man. I got to be honest with you. I'm just I'm just I'm just happy that I can be a vessel for it. Right. You know, and I, I'm, I, honestly, I don't. I, I do think it comes from somewhere else. I'm like, I'm not like, yeah, man. Look at this. Look at this shit I just came up with, because I felt like all I did was channel it. Right. Right. Well, no, like, and I think that that's what I mean. Like, there's a beauty that like the people who are creative in that in that way like see and get to like be the radio antenna for that idea to land and be as amplified out of you you know or whatever it is and it, it is vague and interesting like that's that's beautiful i'm glad that 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 uh the, um that album sparked uh like that whatever like signal that needed the lands that get all these ideas in your head like, yeah, I, th- I think what what happened was that I just there there was so much in there that had to get cleaned out. Yeah, in, in order for that to happen, 
you know, because there was just too much bullshit and negativity and, and, uh, you know, too much blockage, you know, to, to allow anything creative to happen. And once all that stuff was gone, that set the stage for, you know, for me being able to be receptive. Do you, is that where like the, the fishing came in and like just removing yourself from the whole sitch of music? Is that kind of what helped unblock? Um, no, cause I've been fishing my whole life. Okay. You know, I just, when, when I really, really embraced fishing for a living, because I did, I started a, I, I started a charter fishing business in 1997, mm. um, that I, I did for 11 years, like full time. Um, that was just that, that passion for being on the ocean replaced the passion for, you know, being creative musically. So one thing faded out and another came in and I just grabbed it with both hands. Okay. So it that was okay. But, um, so then it was, it was just kind of getting away from the music situation that kind of helped clear your mind as far as like being, uh, like this kind of honest, uh, pure, like music expression. in. no, it wasn't that at all. It was, okay. it, was you know, it was, it was having, it was going through a lot of rough years of my gotcha. personal life. Gotcha. Having to, having to detach myself from a lot, you okay. know, just leave, that and once 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 I was free and clear and, be, and able to get into a better place, that's when all the good stuff started to happen. Beautiful. Um, it, it couldn't have happened before then, right? Right. Yeah. There certain things got to line up, like especially just to write a song. Right when you get that spark, and then you spend the hours bashing your head or the ten minutes bashing your head against the wall to get it out. And then, like, then when you have it, and it's like teaching it to the group and orchestrating it for the record, like that—that's a whole time chunk that needs to be available for you to plan and act upon. So that totally makes sense. Um, did it? It's crazy that this record that inspired you—you you got to have uh, the guitarist on on Old Dog. <laughs> like, I know yeah. I keep going to that that track, but that one really resonated with me. Um, like, did, did like? did you know them or did you just how'd that come about i didn't um i was you know when i when i first got in that hooked on that album i just became a fanboy you know what i yeah. mean and uh turns out that uh, a friend of mine uh knows charlie and uh he was like hey you know what i'll introduce you guys on instagram so he did and you know charlie started following me and you know one thing led to another and then we're we, you know we chat a little bit here on uh you know in instant mess messenger or dm or whatever they call it yeah on instagram and from there like uh, a friendship slowly started to, to develop you know both guitar players and you know songwriters so obviously there was there's a lot of common ground and a lot to talk about and at one point i was just like you know what i'm just gonna ask this dude if he would if he would um sing a verse uh, initially i wanted him to sing a verse an old talk and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going in. And I just, I was like, hey man, I've got a new record. I'm doing a new record. I would love it if you would sing a verse on on one of the tunes. And his response was, he goes, oh man, you're a much better singer than me. You don't need my voice on your record. He goes, uh -huh. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to do a guitar solo. Sick. And I was like, guitar solo is great. And I just, I didn't, I, I don't think that he wanted his voice on anything but Blackberry Smoke stuff. And I totally get that. Yeah. Because it, it's so identifiable. You know, you start singing on other people's stuff and people hear it and they're like, oh, the new Blackberry Smoke song, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. after the fact, I, I kind of, I figured out why he didn't want to do that and I'm totally fine with it. You know, because I'm thrilled to death to have the guitar solo. He just absolutely crushed it. 
Yeah, I know it wails, man. That's that. Uh, that it's and that that uh, first asks, and then you're manically checking your phone, like whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was crazy because you know, for, first and foremost, I'm a fan. Yeah, of music yeah. That I like, you know. So so so, if, if I'm gonna go to somebody like that. It's not just like, hey, man, what'd you do? It's like a, you know, it's a big mental thing. Like you have to prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah. You think about every word that oh. you're going to, you know, how <laughs> yeah, you're going to put it. You want to be ultra polite and, and deferential. So, yeah, it was a big deal, man. When he came back and said yes, I was like, holy shit, what just happened? That's so sick. That's so yeah, sick. It, it really is. And like the two other guys that played on the record, um, Scotty Hill from Skid Row and, and Zach Wilde, those guys are my buddies from... You know, when we were all just like little peons playing a club circuit in Jersey. So yeah. for that for those guys, the ask was like, Hey dude, you're playing on my record. And they were like, <laughs> Yeah, of course I am. Dude, uh, to have Zach Wilde on your record too. Holy shit. So how uh, did you know him since Stonehenge? When did you when did you meet Zach? I met Zach when he was in Zyrus. Zyrus, okay. Which was yeah, I and, think Stonehenge and, later. Right? Stonehenge was before before Zyrus. Yes. Okay. So you so, met him, uh, Cyrus. <laughs> yeah, so we were just, you know, just in bar band. We're just kids playing in bar bands. We're like, hey, you know, he was super nice kid, and you know, we talk, and we both played a place called Close Encounters in um, in Jersey. Like we'd play, we played there every Wednesday, and some nights they would open up for us. So you know, it was there was nothing. It was just like another dude in a band. That's so sick. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. He's, a, he's still he's still a great friend of mine. I, we literally. I'm I'm on a text thread with him and two other of our friends, and we talk literally every single day on that thread. Yeah, that's badass. Is it yeah. is it music shit or is it just like do check this no. video out? <laughs> no, some of it is, but you know, it's it's music, it's just it's, it's politics, it's goofy shit, jokes, you know, whatever. It's just like it's four dudes talking about life. Oh, that's badass. Yeah. Very it's, cool. it's, and he's still the same dude that he was then. Like when you when he uh, when you picked the song for him, or did he pick the song to play on? No, I picked the songs for everybody. Okay. Um, and it it wasn't apparent to me right away. Like I had to really roll the songs around in my head for a while, and, and figure out who I wanted playing on what. And it just it, it just worked out. It worked out perfectly. Everybody that did their parts came up with just the most. They couldn't have been more perfect. That's so bad. Yeah, like listening. Listen, I'm like, there's a Zach track. Holy shit! Because <laughs> like, you know that dude. But um, yeah. And the funny thing, like, the dude is literally a bonafide giant rock star. I mean, as yeah. big as you can get. Like, you know, it, like if, if you look at like who are like the biggest, most revered guitar gods, so to speak, on the planet right now, it would have to be him and Slash. I would yeah. say. <laughs> You know it when you have a custom guitar and there's multiple ads for your stuff and guitar world player one, whatever it is for years. Yeah. <laughs> it is so funny. Like when I think about that, like he's just, he's just this kid that I've been friends with since the eighties, you know, that's so cool. Like, and, and just to be like in a text chain with homie, <laughs> like so badass. Yeah, and it's so funny because none of us think of it that way, obviously, yeah. because we've all been friends since since the eighties. So it's 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 crazy when you think about it. But you know, it's the way it is, man. To 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 the rest of the world, he's Zach Wild, and to me, he's just Zach. <laughs> 
the kid from Close Encounters, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's that's what's beautiful about it too. Like someone's someone's song, someone's creative endeavor can amplify that much and resonate with that many people coming from the the, the smallest bar, or the smallest nook or the basement and whatever. And it's it's beautiful. Um so like do you guys do you have any like like as far as like are you doing any gigs with this stuff with a band or are you just kind of like going solo at the moment acoustic? Uh, um, that's, um, I definitely have uh, a band that I use to play live. Um, we have our, our kickoff show here in Jersey uh, for this record in June. And by then I'm hoping to be able to have some stuff lined up out of state as well. Very cool. Any thoughts of coming to Cleveland? Uh, my thoughts are coming. I want to come everywhere and Cleveland is, Cleveland is an absolute rock and roll city, so there's no way I'd miss it. Hell yeah, man! Well, I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing you, and uh, I appreciate you taking time on Easter to chat with me and uh, yeah. with all the ups and downs. I really enjoyed digging into your music. So uh, yeah, man, you, man. My, my pleasure, and thank you so much. I'm I'm really glad you're enjoying it, man, because that's why we do it. You know, we we create the stuff, and we just hope that people like it. Mm-hmm.